Hello, and welcome to In the Word with Michelle Telfer. Thank you for joining us for this in-depth study of God's Word, the Bible. For more of Michelle's resources or to read her blog, visit her website at intheword.com. And now, Michelle. Welcome to our 12th lesson in Daniel. Over the course of this book, we've seen the same plan for world events laid out through several different visions in ever-increasing details. And as we approach the conclusion of what God revealed to his servant, I want us to briefly review what we've seen. From the first of Daniel's visions, we learned that four empires would dominate the Jewish nation in the immediate and near future. These, of course, would be the Babylonian Empire, the Medo-Persian Empire, the Greek Empire, and finally the Roman Empire. But there was also a fifth empire revealed that was not related to a specific time period as the others were. And we noted this fifth kingdom referred to an unstable alliance that would be led by a person that the book of Revelation calls the Antichrist. This destructive individual, backed by ten national leaders will arise in the end times only to be destroyed by God himself at Christ's return. It is then, according to the prophecy, that Christ's kingdom will fill the earth where Jesus reigns as king and his people rule with him. There have been many leaders over the course of history who have foreshadowed the Antichrist, but according to what was revealed to Daniel, this end-time leader will have some specific characteristics. He will speak arrogant words against the living God. He will persecute the Lord's people. He will seek to change both the calendar and the law by which societies are governed. And he will make a peace treaty for seven years with Israel, only to break it at the halfway point. He will then put an end to the worship of God and will demand that all people worship him instead. We've seen that many of Daniel's prophecies have already been fulfilled in history with stunning accuracy, and so we can confidently expect the rest of them will be fulfilled with similar precision when the time comes. But meanwhile, as we deal with all that happens around us in this world, of men, Daniel 10 shows us that we cannot forget the spiritual component to all of this. As Gabriel revealed to Daniel, there is a spiritual battle going on amongst the powers and principalities in heaven as Satan seeks to destroy God's people and to prevent the reign of Christ on the earth. The first section of Daniel's vision in chapter 11 made it clear that these heavenly battles and the earthly wars and persecution of God's people that they reflect will continue until the time of the end, which will still come at the appointed time. Then we saw that Daniel 11 transitions into a difficult piece of text that details not only aspects of the actual 11-year reign of Antiochus Epiphanes from 175 to 164 BC, but that also looks ahead to the rule of the end-time Antichrist in a time yet to come. 
We cannot forget that though Antiochus Epiphanes was an oppressive figure in Jewish history, he is also a foreshadowing of the coming Antichrist, who will be very similar in his great pride, blasphemous actions, and hatred of the Jews. The next verses in chapter 11 are often seen to refer to both of these different rulers. So let's look at verse 36 as it refers to Antiochus. The king will do as he pleases. He will exalt and magnify himself above every god and will say unheard of things against the god of gods. He will be successful until the time of wrath is completed, for what has been determined must take place. Antiochus Epiphanes certainly did as he pleased, setting himself up as the God above every God. He did speak disgraceful things about the Lord and he was very successful until God brought his reign to an end. However, all this will be true of the Antichrist in end times as well. God's description of Antiochus continues in the next verses, verse 37. He will show no regard for the gods of his fathers or for the one desired by women, nor will he regard any god, but will exalt himself above them all. Instead of them, he will honor a god of fortresses, a god unknown to his ancestors. He will honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and costly gifts. He will attack the mightiest fortresses with the help of a foreign god and will greatly honour those who acknowledge him. He will make them rulers over many people and will distribute the land at a price. Antiochus Epiphanes was indeed a man who exalted himself above even the false gods of his time, where the text mentions that he would also have no regard for the one desired by women. This may have been a reference to the Messiah, as Jewish women at that time each strongly desired that they would be the one to give birth to God's chosen one. Whatever the case, Antiochus Epiphanes certainly did put himself above every holy thing, even demanding that the Jews worship him on the Sabbath instead of God. In fact, the only God Antiochus seemed to honour was his own military power, moving against many strong fortresses in the nations around him. And he had many followers whom he greatly rewarded with wealth and power, though always at a price. But the these things were not only true of Antiochus Epiphanes, they will also be true of the Antichrist, who will come in the final days before Christ's return. For instance, verse 39 reveals that he will attack the mightiest fortresses with the help of a foreign god. You may remember that Antiochus Epiphanes did make alliances with other nations in his attempts to stay in power. But I think that phrase, a foreign god, which by definition means it's a false god, can also be a reference to Satan, who helps the Antichrist rise to power, as described in Revelation. However, from verse 40 onwards, the text does not follow anything that we know about Antiochus and his reign, and so we must presume that the vision is now speaking of the end-time ruler or the Antichrist at this point. I think it is significant that verse 40 begins with the very words, at the time of the end. So let's pick it up in that verse. 
At the time of the end, the king of the south will engage him in battle, and the king of the north will storm out against him with chariots and cavalry and a great fleet of ships. He will invade many countries and sweep through them like a flood. He will also invade the beautiful land. Many countries will fall, but Edom, Moab, and the leaders of Ammon will be delivered from his hand. So at the time of the end, a leader to the south of Jerusalem will attack the Antichrist. Additionally, another ruler to the north of him will storm out against him, and in response, the Antichrist will retaliate with all the latest weapons. Many biblical scholars view these future events in the following way. Once the covenant the Antichrist made has been broken and the abomination that causes desolation has been placed in the temple of Jerusalem, as the Antichrist extends his power and is revealed for the cruel dictator that he is, he will begin to face growing dissent until finally a rebellion will arise against him coming from both the south and the north. According to verse 40, the Antichrist will overthrow many countries as a result, and he will control Israel. However, the area of Edom and Moab, where the people of Ammon lived, will not be overthrown, and that land is the area of modern-day Jordan. Verse 42, he will extend his power over many countries. Egypt will not escape. He will gain control of the treasures of gold and silver and all the riches of Egypt with the Libyans and Nubians in submission. But reports from the east and the north will alarm him and he will set out in a great rage to destroy and annihilate many. He will pitch his royal tents between the seas at the beautiful holy mountain, yet he will come to his end and no one will help him. Despite the fact that Satan has empowered him, there continues to be disunity within his alliance, and surely that reminds us of the toes of Nebuchadnezzar's image that were made out of iron and clay, two substances which don't effectively combine. His world domination isn't as solid as he had hoped, and so he will set out in a great rage to destroy and annihilate many. Verse 44 and 45 are thought to be a reference to the final battle of the book of Revelation. Daniel saw that just as kings accompanied their troops into battle in the past, the Antichrist would lead his troops into battle also, pitching his royal tents between the seas at the beautiful holy mountain. The end-time ruler is drawn to assemble his troops at a place north of Jerusalem. Located between the seas of Galilee in the north and the Dead Sea in the south, as well as the Mediterranean Sea to its west. According to these coordinates, the battleground will be the plain of Estrelon, which in Hebrew is also known as Harmageddon. In English, we call this place Armageddon, and it is there that the Antichrist's army will assemble to fight the gathering opposition.
According to another account of this battle in Matthew 24, when these armies gather together to fight against one another, Christ Jesus will return to earth and all the assembled forces who were adversaries only moments before will ally with one another to fight against the Messiah and the heavenly army that comes with him. Daniel wasn't given those details in his vision. He just saw the armies of this angry, violent ruler pitched right against God's holy mountain, threatening God's holy people, and that was frightening enough. But look at the encouraging promise contained in verse 45. God told Daniel that in that very place, the Antichrist shall come to his end and no one will help him. In chapter 12, God continues encouraging Daniel about the final outcome of the conflict. Look at verse 1. At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. There will be a time of distress such as has not happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. Quite simply, despite the horror and suffering of that final battle and all that occurs, God's people will be protected. Those Jews who, like Daniel, trust in God will be delivered, as well as everyone whose name is found written in the book. The book the Lord is speaking of here is the Lamb's Book of Life, which is spoken of in Revelation. This is the book that contains the names of all who have believed in the Son of God and who have found life in Him. Our names are recorded there when we put our trust in Jesus and ask that His shed blood be applied to our debt for sin. In Revelation 20 verse 15, we're told that anyone not found written in that book of life will be cast into the lake of fire, along with the Antichrist and the false prophet. Ultimately, Satan will also join them in that place of judgment, which is no ordinary fire. Those who are thrown into it will not be burnt up. Rather, Revelation 20 verse 10 declares that they will be tormented day and night forever and ever in that place. At that time, the resurrection and the judgment will also occur, which Daniel 12 verse 2 describes. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars for ever and ever. So the dead will arise, depending on whether or not they belong to Jesus, the Lamb of God. Some will rise to everlasting life, and some will rise to shame and everlasting contempt. Notice that whether a person receives life in God's presence or exile from God's presence, their fate is everlasting. God also reveals that at this time, those who belong to Jesus will be rewarded according to the way that they served the Lord during their lifetime. Those who were wise, who worked to see God's kingdom extended, will shine like the radiance of heaven forever and ever. 
The message continues in verse 4, where God instructs Daniel, But you, Daniel, close up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. Many will go here and there to increase knowledge. Daniel was instructed to close up the words contained in this scroll of prophecy because this part of the vision was not something Daniel was to know about. It would be something for others to discern in their own times. Daniel was to seal it up and to leave it with God, recognizing that God was the revealer of secrets and he would do so at the appointed time. And some of this prophecy is still sealed to us today, for it can only be fully understood when the time of the end begins. Verse 5. Then I, Daniel, looked, and there before me stood two others, one on this bank of the river and one on the opposite bank. One of them said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river, How long will it be before these astonishing things are fulfilled? The man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river lifted his right hand and his left hand toward heaven, and I heard him swear by him who lives forever, saying, It will be for a time, times, and half a time, when the power of the holy people has been finally broken, all these things will be completed. Two more angels have appeared now, presumably in addition to the one who has been speaking to Daniel. They are standing on either bank of the Tigris where this vision occurred, and Daniel is eager to learn from them how long it will be until this astonishing vision is fulfilled. And so the angel speaks to the man clothed in linen whom Daniel had seen before. The angel asks him, how long will it be before these astonishing things are fulfilled, for all creation is groaning and waiting for that day. Raising both hands to heaven at that time was symbolic of swearing an oath, and so here the Lord makes an unbreakable promise. All this will be accomplished after three and a half years, when the power of the holy people living on earth at that time has been finally broken. This period of terrible trial is what will be used to turn the Jewish people's hearts toward God and it will prepare them for their Messiah because as God promised in Zechariah 12.10, when they witness his return, they will not only recognize him for who he is, they will repent for their previous rejection of Jesus. If you're struggling at this point, you know, you're in good company, for even Daniel did not fully understand. He states in verse 8, I heard, but I did not understand. So I asked my Lord, what will the outcome of all this be? He replied, Go your way, Daniel, because the words are closed up and sealed until the time of the end. Many will be purified, made spotless and refined, but the wicked will continue to be wicked. None of the wicked will understand, but those who are wise will understand. Daniel seems exasperated. He still does not fully understand, and rather like us, he wants to know what the outcome of all of this will be. But the Lord declares that Daniel is to go his way. In other words, he's to get about doing the work that God has for him to do right now, knowing that the prophecy cannot be fully understood until the time of the end anyway. These words are closed up and sealed, even to us now, as the time of their 
fulfillment has not yet come. And when that time comes, their words will be made clear. There will be no need to speculate or wonder. But God assures us that until then, many will be purified, made spotless and refined. In other words, many will come to a knowledge of Christ. Many will be purified by his blood shed on the cross and many will grow to be more like Jesus. However, many is not all people. For the wicked will continue to be wicked. There will still be those who are hostile to God and who will not understand the times. They will not recognize the Antichrist because they do not belong to God, but those who do belong to the Lord shall understand. And let's see how the text concludes in verse 11. From the time that the daily sacrifice is abolished and the abomination that causes desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. Blessed is the one who waits for and reaches the end of the 1,335 days. As for you, go your way till the end. You will rest and then at the end of the days you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. Now, obviously, you will notice that there seems to be a discrepancy here in the numbers. We've previously stated that there are 360 days to a biblical year, and so 1,260 days is equal to three and a half years. However, we are given two other spans of time here. From the cutting off of the sacrifices and the erecting of the abomination that causes desolation till the coming of Christ, we've already been told that there will be 1,260 days, but now we're told there will be 1,290 days. 30 days more. And not only that, but it goes on to say, Blessed is he who waits and comes to the end of the 1,335 days, which is an additional 45 days, even more than that. There's nothing to clarify what these extra periods refer to. What we do know, though, from the text is that blessing is associated with this period of time that is 75 days after the end of the tribulation and the return of Christ. Scholars question if this is because Jesus' kingdom takes time to be set up. We don't know. Only time will tell. So even as the book ends, we're left with questions, right? In the midst of the inexplicable, perhaps the most important words we can hold to out of verse 12 are, Blessed is the one who waits. Like Daniel, we may not understand this part of the prophecy, but we are to wait on the Lord for him to reveal its meaning as we follow the path that the Lord has laid before us until the time of the end. And like Daniel, we can rest in the secure knowledge that though we may not understand the timing of everything, Everything. At the end of the days, we who believe by faith will rise to receive our allotted inheritance. In the Old Testament, people like Daniel looked forward in faith to God providing the way for them to be reconciled to him. They looked forward to being saved by God's grace, even though they did not fully understand how that would be accomplished as it was in the cross. 
We, as believers in Christ Jesus, are more fortunate than they in that we are able to look back to all that was accomplished by Christ's death on the cross at Calvary, and we know the one in whom we have believed. Accordingly, though, God has promised an inheritance for all of us who live by faith, and even the Antichrist himself will not be able to prevent God's people from receiving all that the Lord intends. You know, this has been a wonderful book of scripture, hasn't it? The prophecies of Daniel are both accurate and amazing. Jesus himself said that there is a time yet to come when what was spoken of through the prophet Daniel will come to pass. Many people study this book to learn what the future holds, but we cannot just focus on the prophecies. We need to look at the man too, because in him we see a life well lived for the Lord. And I'd really like to use the very word life, L-I-F-E, to help us remember some things that we learn about him. Lordship, integrity, faithfulness, and excellence. First, Daniel was known for his submission to God's lordship. From the very beginning of the account of Daniel's life, we saw him make a conscious choice to put God first, irrespective of what that might cost him. He was willing to risk everything in order to be true to his God and to be a good ambassador for the Lord amongst a people group who were far from him. As the years passed, he courageously interpreted the dreams of the most powerful rulers of his time, revealing God's lordship over things to them without fear. He knew his God and wanted others to know him as well. Daniel was also known for his integrity. He served the pagan kings as though he were serving the Lord himself. He could not be bought and no one could bring any accusations against him, even though his enemies tried to. Daniel's only concern was that his life accurately reflected the God whom he served. Daniel was known for his faithfulness. When told he would have to break God's dietary laws for his people, the young Daniel found a way to still be faithful to the Lord. Many years later, when instructed that he could no longer pray to the Lord, he did as he always had done and prayed anyway, even though it meant certain death in the lion's den for him to do so. Daniel was also faithful to those whom he served and recognized that God was working in them. For example, Daniel protected King Nebuchadnezzar's interests against internal enemies when the king suffered a debilitating mental illness and lived as a beast in the field. Along with his believing friends, Daniel faithfully sought God's wisdom through prayer and fasting, which resulted in God's revelation of amazing prophetic truths to Daniel over a long period of years. And as we saw in the beautiful prayer in Daniel chapter 9, Daniel faithfully cried out to the Lord on behalf of his people. And then, in everything he did, Daniel was known for excellence. Even the pagan queen noted that Daniel had an excellent spirit in him, but she wasn't just speaking of his abilities as a servant or an interpreter of dreams. In her own way, she was recognizing that the spirit of the holy God lived in him, and that set him apart. 
His dependence on God, his faithful obedience and his humble spirit made him a real witness to those around him. There's another point to be gleaned from Daniel's life that also begins with an E. Daniel talks to us about the end. In his visions, Daniel saw the reality of the ongoing spiritual battle in the heavenly realm that often impacts what happens on earth. And in obeying God's direction to write the vision in a scroll and seal it up for the future, allowing for some questions to be left unanswered, he was showing us how to handle life in these end times as we wait for the final revelation of all things. The angel told Daniel two times to go his way, to continue to live his life with what he had been shown and to leave what he didn't understand with God. And Daniel did exactly that. And perhaps that should be our final takeaway from this amazing book too. We met Daniel as a young man torn from his home and thrown into a pagan culture, full of determination to remain pure before his God. We leave him at the end of the book as an old man, still living the same life of faithful integrity in the same pagan circumstances. According to God's gracious promise at the end of the book, Daniel would rest and arise to his inheritance at the end of days. And so will we, if we trust the God of Daniel, the God who answers the prayers of his people, who saves through fires and shuts the mouths of lions, who reveals his secrets to those who seek him and who holds the times of mankind in his hands. May God bless each one of you. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for all that you've said to our hearts through this beautiful book in your word. Lord, I pray that this word would continue to go forth and accomplish the purpose for which it was sent, that many would be drawn to you through its testimony. Lord, help us to be good ambassadors for Christ in every place that you call us to go. It is in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to In the Word with Michelle Telfer. Join us next week as we continue our study from God's Word, the Bible. For more of Michelle's resources, visit her website at intheword.com.